The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes podcasts. You can subscribe to it, uh, and it will download right to your smart device because it is very intelligent, uh, especially if you subscribe to this podcast. It is called The Chris Sheeran Show. It is. But I, I have a little bit of a problem with that because a big part of this podcast is sitting to my right, your left on your radio dial. Uh, that would be Lou DiPietro. I just waved. You can't see me. At Lou DiPietro, yes, uh, who is by far um, the best co-host you could have uh, because he's here. He's an encyclopedia. He checks me when I'm wrong, and he does it live on the air, which I like. This is the Chris he cracks Sheeran the show. whip. This is the Chris Sheeran show in the same way the Michael K show is the Michael K show. I am your Don LaGreca. <laughs> I am your I am your Ed McMahon. I'm more like your Don LaGreca. <laughs> Let's be honest. I am, I am your, your your Ed McMahon, your Andy no, Richter, no. your uh... I am Ed McMahon and Andy Richter for sure. And, and yes, and Stuttering John. <laughs> it, it just has my name on it. But let's be honest, it's your show. Uh, anyway, you're prettier. Uh, anyway, we'll go stop. ahead. Let's. <laughs> Let, let me, uh, I wrote a blog for uh, ChrisSheeran.com, and, and if you haven't checked out my blogs on my website, you should. Um, maybe the punctuation isn't all right, uh, which my wife pointed out to me the last time I did this, uh, especially this one. She, I said, is all the punctuation correct? She goes, no, you have, you have <laughs> issues. Um, English and business major, so yeah, I should probably run those by her beforehand, uh, but I didn't. Um, but anyway, you're not going to see them because I'm going to read this to you. It's, uh, it's about Phil Jackson and about his, uh, what I believe, you know, at this point are nonsensical tweets. Um, anyway, here it is. And if you haven't seen it on Facebook or on my site, this is it. Uh, the title of it is Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Of course, meatloaf. Don't be sad. I love the loaf. But 10 out of 56 is Phil Jackson, as we all know, has two championships as a member of the New York Knicks as a player. We also know that he, has, he was the architect behind 11 world titles as a head coach. Six with the Bulls, five with the Lakers. He is quickly approaching his one-year anniversary of being named president of the New York Knickerbockers. Since he took the reins, the team has won 20 games. 20. 10 since he took over the team last year. They were 10-5 and five over the last 15. You know, showing a little sign of, well, I guess we better play now, or Phil's going to get rid of us. Um... And then 10 over the first 56 this year. Do you think Jackson gets a performance review? Is he due for one on his anniversary like the rest of us are every year? Highly doubtful. Could you imagine if we produced at the same alarmingly low rate as his team has produced, how bad it would be when we walked out of our collective boss's offices? Well, I guess we haven't won 13 championships, so we have nothing to fall back on but our work. Jackson was given the keys to one of the cornerstone franchises in the association. So far, he has driven it at a high speed into the base of a basketball stanchion. The team that he helped to two titles as a player, the team that helped make Madison Square Garden the quote-unquote mecca of basketball, where the basketball gods could hold court on a nightly basis and revel in the Laurentian abyss worth of talent that it produced. There was a 14-year run of making the playoffs with two losses in the finals, but that has been followed up by the last 14 years of folly. They have made just four playoff appearances, getting out of the first round just once when they lost to the uh, Pacers in the Eastern semifinals in the 2012-13 season. Jackson was supposed to fix it. He has cleared cap space. He appears to be moving the team in the right direction in that aspect. But if he can't attract big-name free agents, where exactly is this team headed? It can't get any worse this, than this season, can it? <laughs> 
They just have 10 wins. 56 games played. 10 wins. This is the worst record at this point of a season for any Knicks team in the history of the damn franchise. Art Vandelay is not the architect here. Phil Jackson has his fingerprints all over this sinking ship in a dried-up abyss of lost championship dreams. He told Knicks fans that it wasn't going to happen overnight. I'm sure fans knew this year would be a transition year, but I'm pretty positive they didn't think it was going to be this bad. The Knicks' D-League team plays in Westchester, as we all know. The team playing at the Garden gets a big old fat red F. A teacher recently told me, they can't mark papers in red anymore because it traumatizes students. <laughs> Since the Knicks have been traumatizing their fans, guess what? They get that big, huge, fat, red F. What brought, you, uh, what brought on this vitriol, you ask? First and foremost, and Nets fans probably don't want to hear this, but I'm a Knicks fan. I, I, I can't get it out of my system. I grew up a Knicks fan. I'm not going to all of a sudden just switch fan bases. I do pull for the Nets because of where I work but I'm a Knicks fan. If you listen to this podcast, you knew that. Secondly, that hateful email that their owner sent one of us fans, last but certainly not least, the team president taking to social media to call out a team that he put together and dismantled. Here are the tweets in question in case you live under a rock. Number one, each NBA game is an opportunity for players to show their quote-unquote best nature and please the basketball gods and those who know what it, in quotation marks, takes. Number two, Today's game versus the Cavs gave basketball gods, BB gods, heartburn, and those that know what, quote-unquote, it takes slash means, a uh, SMH, which all you millennials know is shake my head, shaking my head. Okay, a couple of things right off the bat. First tweet, if the basketball gods are at Madison Square Garden to watch a basketball game nowadays, they must love torture or they need a good laugh. They have picked up stakes and they have moved on. Believe that. They were probably embarrassed to reside at the Mecca any longer. I'm sure they would choose waterboarding over enduring a Trent Tucker rule smidgen of a Knicks game. Kids, that's .3 seconds. The Garden is still an arena to see opposing teams and opposing superstars. Second tweet. Your attention shouldn't be directed at the basketball gods' heartburn, Phil. The only heartburn you should be paying attention to and trying to fix is the collective reflux of your fan base. The people who still, capital letters, still, Fill the garden with the hopes of this turning around sometime in this century. Maybe those basketball gods are evening out the scale of your career, bringing that legacy of yours back to an earthly plane. I hope, too, that while you uh, were doing the old SMH thing, like the millennials, you were looking in a mirror. Because, let's face it, this is his team. This is his team now. It is. It, and and I, I, I read that on... Tuesday. Tuesday, you posted that? Yeah. Tuesday? I read that. And we're a day late, by the way, this week, as usual, only because... And a dollar uh, short. Only because Chris was uh, Chris was taping Nets Magazine yesterday. yesterday. So Chris was in the midst of the Nets uh, hoopla over their last couple games and the All-Star break. Um, and I will say this. I absolutely 100% agree with that sentiment about everything you wrote, but I will say it with this caveat. If the Knicks are 10 and 46 at this time next year, I'm sitting shotgun on that train. As it is now, I'm going to wait for the next one. Yeah. For the one reason that this isn't any other, I mean, basketball isn't like any other place where you can come in, clean house, start fresh, build from the ground up. But th that's not what I'm concerned with. I know. It's just that. I'm concerned with the tweets. Right. Calling out a team 
<coughs> that is basically that is now him. from yep. the Island of Misfit Toys. Because everything that's on this team right now, from the Carmelo Anthony extension this summer on down, now that Stoudemire's gone, now that Prigioni's gone, everything on this team has the Phil Jackson Carmelo's out? Well, Carmelo's out, yeah, but, I mean, he's the one that signed him to the mega deal. Right. Everything on this team has his watermark. The thing about it is I'm going to give it a little bit of a pass only because and, – and we'll, we'll delve a little bit more into this in a little bit when we go into our interview that I did yesterday with Michael Scotto, our guest. They ain't got nothing in, no. in, in, in a millennial way no. to put it. They ain't got nothing. Langston Hughes, nice story. There's nothing. I, Tim, Ant, uh, Tim Anthony. Clee Anthony Early, Ugh. Tim Hardaway Jr., Bargnani is now their best player. Look, I watched him on Christmas Day against the Bulls, and it was it was t- extremely tough to keep. S- the only reason I stayed on the couch and watched it because there was nothing else on, and they're my team, and I said, you know what? Let me just try to get through an entire game. Nauseous when it was over. The, the, Nauseous. The Cleveland game, I think it was, in January. They were down the, like 40 to 17. Yeah, the first, the first Saturday in January, first or second Saturday in January, it was um, – not wild card weekend, but the weekend after in the NFL. We were out watching the game, hanging out. Looked over at the Knicks game real quick, saw they were down Ugh. by like 35, Ugh. and was like, yep, done. There is no reason for anyone not involved in the player development department of the New York Knicks to be watching a New York Knicks game for anything related to the New York Knicks right now. As you say so eloquently in that piece, people are coming and people are watching to see LeBron. Kevin Love, right. Kyrie Irving, when the right. when the Cavs play them, they're watching to see Rose, uh, Rose. Well, not Rose anymore, but Noah and Gasol and those guys. When Chicago comes in, they're watching to see whoever the Lakers, they may be watching. When the Lakers came in, there were probably more people there to see Jeremy Lin than there were to see the New York. Knicks. And there would have been even more there if Kobe was in there. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Believe me, you and I both lived here through the, the, the last dreadful net season where it was the same way in Jersey. I want you to think about that last statement I made about the New York Knicks. There were probably equal or more people in that arena rooting for just Jeremy Lin than there were for the New York Knicks. Oh, it's in a market like New York, it's magnified even worse than it would be if this is the Timberwolves we're talking about. And again, let me just clarify. Let me just clarify that blog. And I, our sentiment is the same, but I really didn't. I don't want it to come across as I'm mad at Phil Jackson because the team isn't. I knew maybe you know 24 to 30 wins this year tops mm-hmm. as it was constituted at the beginning of the season. Everybody healthy, everybody balling. They could have even been better. Yep. They could have been. He blew it up. I get it. My my anger, my angst, everything came from tweets about a team full of what Rudolph and Yukon Cornelius saw on that island. <clears throat> You're talking about a, a choo-choo train with square wheels on its caboose, a polka-dotted elephant, a... Uh, Jack in the box, his name is Charlie. Not my gumdrop buttons. This the is, guy from Shrek is there, right. too. Right. This is this team. Is Willie the Don't Run With Scissors worm from oh South Park there, too? I mean, come on. Oh, my Lord. That would be Quincy Acey, I think. Agree or disagree? And it's, a, it's an easy question. It's a layup. It's an unabated layup that Andrea Bargnani gives up on a nightly basis when he's playing. The New York Knicks are the, one of the cornerstones of the league. 
They have ten wins, Lou. Yeah, if you took if you took the ten. four if you took the four cornerstones of every league, the Knicks would be My one of the God, four in the they're NBA. The Mount, they're on the Mount Rushmore yeah. of the NBA. Right. Yeah, you know, here's what's weird about Ugh. this. Here's what's weird about this. I, I am a Knicks fan as well, obviously. I know we work for the network that airs and, and televises the Brooklyn We're Nets. sick of apologizing. Yep. That's how we grew up. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, Mikhail. Um, I am cautiously excited for June of 2016. Right, but yeah. Not because this I, year, next year. Because I get what's going on here. I get what Phil Jackson is doing. He's just He tried the triangle with what he had. It didn't work. Now everybody's gone. Bargnani will be gone in two months, if not sooner. I, I think he probably would have been bought out, too, if it wasn't for the fact that then their biggest star would be the kid of a guy who played in the NBA 20 years ago. Hardaway? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or if they brought Tim Hardaway back, that would might be as well. and day contract. And Penny and Stefan Marbury, Why too, not? while you're at it. Um, <laughs> I, I get it. This summer, they're going to have a lot of cap space. Nobody's on the books other than Carmelo... Calderon and like a handful of team option guys. Mm -hmm. So they'll bring in some roster filler. They'll bring in maybe one or two guys. They'll overpay for somebody to come in and be a number two option. They'll try to get the number one pick, you know, or at worst, what are they going to get? Four at this point? I mean, the way the lottery works. Yeah. And then next year will probably be a 25 win season while they build. And then we'll see what happens in the summer of Durant, the possible see, summer of LeBron, the possible summer of whatever. And that's fine with me. And I'm good with that. So, you know what? I'm just not I'm just not going to say anything good or bad about Phil until then because I'm just I'm so tired of living in the moment with but this team. But don't you agree that there's no buttons to push? Uh, absolutely. He's trying to push buttons on guys that don't have buttons. Does, I mean, does Langston Galloway care that you're mad at him? I'm Dude sorry. was playing in the D League last did year. Did I say Langston Hughes? You did. Did I say the poet? Yeah, you did. <laughs> He's probably a, he's, he'd probably be the number three option on the Knicks right now, and he might even be dead. Oh, my God. I can't believe I um, did that. Langston Galloway was in the D League a month ago. I, I mean, you know, if you brought up the brother of your friend and mine, Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah. Thanasis Antetokounmpo, the uh -huh. other Greek freak, the but other white meat. point, why not? Why not? Do you think he's going to care if he has a bad game and no. fill SMH, no. LOL, Raffle Mao, Hey Genie? Oh, boy. Come on. The only person, the only person, the only person on that team that should even be remotely offended by that is hurt and isn't playing. But you know what? This is what pisses me off. And I'm sorry if I can't say that and you have to get it out of there. I think it's okay, but go ahead. But this is what gets me mad, okay? Back in the day, and all the reporters, they want to know, like, the closed-door team meetings. Don't go to social media. Kick the door into the locker room and go in there and tear these guys that you know a new you know what. Mm -hmm. That's the way Tom Landry would have done it. The hell with social media. You look like a fool. You look like a fool going on social media and calling out a team that is terrible. Who are you trying to push? Jose Calderon? You think he cares that he goes three for 20 when the team has 10 wins? You can't be trying to push Andrea Bargnani because he might sprain his thumb looking oh at the tweet. I mean, the guy's Carl Pavano in a seven-foot body. Uh, I, 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 100% on your side there. I'm just, like I said, I'm so done living in the moment with that team. Remember when we used to talk about the Jets and we thought we were, like, we were wasting breath? Yeah. Just like I said, I'm so done living in the moment with that team that wake me up next summer when Durant's a free agent 
and there's you know a ten percent chance he'll sign with the Knicks before he goes to DC. Just but, wake me up, when, yeah. Okay, but, but but in a way, Phil did a pretty decent job of you know getting people to talk yeah. about his team. I, that is terrible. I imagine him the Zen Master at seventy or whatever he is now. Probably looks like Mr. Cheezle from Grandma's Boy in his office, just <laughs> just wearing some crazy pants, doing some yoga, watching the game on TV. Like, yep, they lost again. My guys will take care of it. By the way, if you've never seen Grandma's Boy it's, and you're listening to this podcast, yeah. you need to watch Grandma's Boy. You, I own it. That's, Mr. Leo, monkey? Oh, God. Um. Anyway. Uh, there, you we, need to get back to work. I left there months ago. <laughs> Is this Marv Albert? <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. Um, <laughs> our guest this week, Michael Scotto. I talked to him yesterday while you were at, while you were at Barclays Center. Mm-hmm. It's going to be thirty minutes of me talking to someone. So if that's not your bag, listen for a few minutes and then skip forward. We're going to get to that <laughs> in a second. No, sorry, I don't mean I don't mean to say that about Mike. It's very very good conversation. He's a very knowledgeable guy in the New York basketball scene, and we talk mostly about the Nets. You know, because this is, again, a Nets-centric. We and are that's, Nets where, network. that's where I want to go next before we get into that interview. No, but there is a little bit about the Phil Jackson disaster so far and about their building for the future. And, and it's some very interesting stuff. So I'll let you listen to that. But now, as Chris said, we'll move on to our team, right. the Nets, who... Our team. They look, yes. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Who look like a uh, perfectly cromulent National Basketball Association franchise the Do last you, week. I'm going to go really corny on you here. But do you remember that song "Opposites Attract" by Paul Abdul? Oh yeah, MC Scat Cat. Yes, MC I, I can still I, do the rap so when it comes I. on the radio. So can I, and uh, we're not. We should do it here. You want to do it like line for line next week? Okay, I gotta get ready. All right, we'll we'll do that for you next week. Okay, something to look forward to. We'll start the podcast with the MC Scat Cat rap. Nothing in common but discourse. I'm like ah, a minor, ah, she's ah, like ah, a plus. Ah, hey, ah, go ahead. Stop. You have to tease him with something, Lou. Um, but that is what this team embodies. Two steps forward, one step back. They cannot get – they've had two three-game winning streaks. They haven't had a four nope. all season long. Two three-game – they had a two-game out of the All-Star break. Then they faced a Pelicans team, didn't have the brow, didn't have Drew Holiday, didn't have Ryan Anderson, and they go to New Orleans with some momentum. I can't name anyone else on that team other than those three guys. Norris Cole, they got from yeah. the heat in the trade. Right. And they couldn't stop. Ready for this? Quincy Pondexter. <laughs> they couldn't stop Quincy Pondexter. Kai had Did a, he go to Rutgers? Is he from Rutgers? Washington. Washington? Okay. Maybe think of somebody else. He had a career night. 25 points. I was thinking of Cappy Pondexter. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. I thought the same thing, actually. That's why I looked yeah, him up. 25 points? Well, Markel Brown had 24 points, and, and this is something we get into later, too. Markel Brown had 24 points and 11 boards against the Nuggets, which might have like doubled his season total in both categories. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Uh, well, I, here's my thing with the Nets right now. Corey Jefferson came into the game, that Nuggets game, uh, the last two and a half minutes of the f- second quarter. Yep, right before the half. Five points. I think he had four boards. Two steals. He was a dynamo. And a block. He was a dynamo. No doubt about it. In a little over two minutes, I think. He didn't see the floor again until late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and he hasn't even seen the floor since. He didn't play the other night. I, I, I don't get that. I mean, matchups, going small, whatever. 
They were going to get Thomas Robinson before the Sixers swooped in and picked him up off waivers. Whoops. I see what they're trying to do, trying to get younger, trying to get more athletic, which is what the rest of the league is doing, and which is why the rest of the league is uh, successful right now, and the Nets aren't. You know, when you have Kevin Garnett on the floor, he, he can't run the floor. He can't. That's why he's back with Minnesota. And they, they had him back to a hero's welcome. He's very happy to be there. In Minnesota. The pre- that press conference is great. Well, he should be. Yeah. Now he could ride off into the sunset like Roy Rogers. Yep. And I wouldn't be surprised if they sign him for one more year since they know they're probably not going to be that great next year either. And I let set him be you up for coach. a diehard line there, by the way. You did, and I totally did not knock that out of the park. <laughs> Yippee-kish. <laughs> no, 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 not that. No, I know. Well, this time Roy Rogers doesn't ride off into the sunset with whatever. And he says it was... Uh, who was the guy? Gene. I forget. I, I screwed it. Die Hard was the uh, was uh, the final Jeopardy answer the other night. Oh, no was lie. it really? It was. Uh, it was about something presidential, and the the thing was Ronald Reagan took an office in a high rise after beca- after leaving office as president. That was still a mess from the filming of this 1988 thriller. I'm like, it's got to be Die Hard. The, the Nakatomi Building. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and it was. Um, but back to the Nets. Now listen. They have the eighth seed as we tape this right now on Friday. And the interview you're going to hear with Lou happened on Thursday. So there's no confusion if you're confused during the interview. But as we tape this on Friday, the Nets are starting a Texas two-step back-to-back against Houston and Dallas. Okay? They are the three and five seeds right now out west. Then on Monday, three games and four nights, they come back home to Barclays Center to start a five-game homestand. Guess who they have Monday? The Golden State Warriors. So in a span of four days, they have the three seed, the five seed, the one seed out west. They're not – listen, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. They're not going to win one of these games. And they, they st- and they still have, if you look further down their schedule, they still got to play the Hawks again. They still got, I think, two against They've the Bulls. They've got the Hawks twice. They've got the Bulls once. They've got the Bucks twice. Yep. Out of their 27 games left – I just did this before we came up here. Out of their 27 games left, 18 are against teams that are already in the playoffs – fighting for that last playoff spot in the East or West, and 13 of their last 15 games this year are against those such teams. Mm-hmm. So if you think this eight seed... And the one, the one, one of the two that's not is the last Knicks game, isn't it? Isn't that at the end of the season? No, yeah. no, no. It's in that, the Knicks are kind of towards the... Late March? Late March, yeah. early April. Well, that's what I'm saying. One I, of think the last 13... I think it's the first week of April. That, yeah. yeah, the Knicks are the first game in April that they have at the Garden, and that's one of the two games. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? The Knicks might just want to beat right, them for the hell of a it. A thorn in the side. Yeah. Who knows? They, they might get up for that game. And you don't know where all these teams are going to be, but 13, think of that. The way this Nets team has played this year, where you know they won six of seven late December, early January, then they went on that you know the run where they won four or three straight, and you thought something was happening. I think they won four or five, and oh maybe they're turning the corner and like a moron, I go on the post game show and I start singing "Coming Around the Bend" by Creedence Clearwater, and then the next two games or next three games before the All Star break, they get absolutely pasted, including a thirty point loss in D.C. the night after I sing that Creedence mm-hmm. Clearwater song. Guess what? There will be no more singing any kind of turning the corner songs in the postgame show after a win. This team, you cannot get too high or too low. Well, you can get too low, but you can't get too high with them ever. This team is either a mediocre team 
or it's a bad team. That's the spectrum they're in. They, they should be a good team. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you look at it and you put the onus on Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, and Darren Williams, because when you go back, those three were the ones that were put together to make this team a solid playoff team that goes deep into the playoffs every year. And this is what they're producing? And I'll That's tell you, terrible. And I'll tell you what, foreshadowing part umpteen, I asked in our interview, mm-hmm. why does it seem that Darren Williams, Brooke Lopez, two max players, brought in to make this franchise into the, the to take them to the next level? To, to, to make them the Brooklyn yep, Nets. Are what they are, and Jarrett Jack and Mason Plumley play Lionel Holland's system better than they do. How? Why? I, when? Look, I, I've defended Brooke as much as I could defend him. And if he did go to the Thunder, uh, Scott Brooks? Yes. Scotty Brooks would have been his seventh seven, coach in seven years. Eighth if you count Tom Barisa's right. interim stint there right. in between the Kiki Vandaway now, now, look, that's right now it's six coaches in seven years and seven if you count Barisa. That's a lot of voices in your head. Yep. That's a lot of different guys teaching you to do a lot of different things. That's seven, well, six different systems. Five, really, because Baris and Baris was uh, Larry Frank. I was going to say, let's go with, let's even go with four because PJ sort of ran it the way Avery did. Yeah. Avery and, and PJ were the same, too. So it's four different systems. But still, in seven years, you're running four different yeah. systems and you're being asked to do different things by every single coach. Now, look, the thing that ticks me off about Brooke the most is the fact that he is seven feet tall. He has size 20 shoes. He's taking 20-foot jump shots. Devin Carperdian from the BrooklynGame.com, who is, listen, if, you don't, if you're a Nets fan or you're just a basketball fan and you don't read the BrooklynGame.com, you're missing out mm-hmm. because analytically, uh, basketball IQ-wise, Devin can pretty much be – a scout, and I told him this, he laughed at me, but I think he could be a scout. I think he could be uh, in an organization with a team as a video coordinator who could move up the ranks and maybe be a GM someday. I think he's that bright, and I think he's that good at what he does. And you see him from time to time on the pregame show when we do the BK Connect with Rod Boone from Newsday, who's also as sharp as a tack when it comes to basketball. But Devin sent me a graphic about Brooks shooting. This season, and this is going back a week, I guess, from the foul line and in, if you imagine a halo in the paint, he's shooting 56%. From that halo and out, he's shooting 38%. So I ask you, and if you count his threes, it goes down to 35%. I think he's taken four threes this year. Maybe the shot clock was winding down. I don't know. It's and possible. He's, and he's made one. He was accidentally behind the line. Why? And, why doesn't he rebound? Because he's not in the paint. Because he's trying to be Dirk Nowitzki. This, you know, I remember this series of tweets coming from Devin, too, where it's like, you know, ball movement, ball movement, ball movement, you know, three spray positions. Brooke Lopez checks in, 20-foot jumper with 20 left on the shot clock. Why? He, he, Why? He retards the offense. He does. He, he takes the offense. He takes the flow that Lionel wants and needs. And he, as the Nets collectively has, have taken that step back all year, Lopez, when he's out there, now look, he'll give you 26 or 24 or 22. And he came out of the all-star break, guns blazing. Mm-hmm. You know, Mason Plumley starts, but Brooke Lopez is playing more minutes. And Plumlee only paid 14 minutes the other night. Right. 
And he'll give you those nights. But he's inconsistent. And the thing he doesn't still adjust to is that when he doesn't have that 20-footer, he keeps taking it. Instead of reestablishing his game down low and getting on the block and being there for rebounding and helping the team in other ways, as Jarrett Jack does, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't have that mid-range jumper, he's facilitating. Brooke doesn't do that. Right. Brooke just gets the ball and shoots. Because he's a seven-footer. He doesn't know how to facilitate. It's very possible. I don't want him to facilitate. I want him to get on the block. Do if, something, yeah. If you don't have your 20-footer, go <laughs> go take a 10-footer. Yeah. Go take an 8-footer, a 5-footer. You're seven feet tall. You know, it's it. yeah, it's, it's amazing how inconsistent he can be. And, you know, I remember having this discussion back in the day when the Nets had just before the move to Brooklyn and everything, and Chris Humphreys was – Looked like Superman out there every night. That was a beast. And it was like, is this because he's the best player on a bad team, or is it because he's trying to do everything himself? And when they moved to Brooklyn, he became a non-entity once all the stars came in. Mm -hmm. And it was proof that he's doing it because he has to. But he's a good role player with the Wizards. Maybe Brooks still feels that way. I mean, you never know. I don't know. But there's no reason for him to be like, look, this is the way I I put it up there with Eric Roldan, (laughs) and after I'm done, you could throw to the... Uh, one of our other producers here at Yes. We were sitting in my office, and I drew a key, and I drew the court, and I said, okay, you have Brooke out here, and I drew the shot clock, and I had 20 seconds on the shot clock, and I had the spacing on the floor. Now, I had Brooke at his elbow-extended jumper, what he usually takes from 20 foot out right inside the three-point line. I had Alan Anderson in the corner by himself, mm-hmm. wide open there. for a three. Now, I asked Eric, would you rather him swing the ball to the top and have Allen Anderson take a wide-open three with Brooke rolling to the basket for a rebound? Because if he misses it, Brooke's there for an easy two? Or would you rather, with 14 or 8 seconds left on a shot clock, or would you rather your 7-footer, who's shooting 38% from that halo, take that jump shot with 20 seconds left on the shot clock? And it's a no-brainer. I'd rather have AA or even Jared Jackson. I'd rather have anybody take that shot. Anybody. Anybody. Kevin Garnett could hit a wide-open three-pointer in the corner. I'm and sure. when nine times out of ten, when Lopez is taking that 20-footer, boys and girls, believe me, I watch a lot of Nets basketball. There's no one underneath. Nope. No one. Because they're playing, especially now that Garnett's been gone, the last couple games while they get Thaddeus Young small. rolling, they're playing with Joe Johnson at the four. It's a lot like last year when KG was playing the five and Pierce was playing because the Brooke four. Because Brooke was hurt, right. Yeah. It's different. It's a different sec- subsection of small ball, and there's a lot of things between that and the Lopez part of the offense, and you know, um, player development, all that. That I talked to uh, Michael Scotto from Sheridan Hoops. He does some work for the AP as well. Great guy. I miss seeing him in Brooklyn because I haven't been there all year. But uh, you know, good friend, good contact in the biz. I did 30 or so minutes with him yesterday about all that Nets issues, a little bit about the Knicks. And a nice question at the end that I think you'll enjoy. So I'm going to throw to that now, like we're on the radio, and go. All right, everyone, I'm here with Michael Scotto, a uh, columnist for Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press, uh, covers the Knicks and Nets in depth here from the New York City area. And he's a, he's a Brooklyn boy, so, uh, you know, he reps his Nets even uh, even when he doesn't want to sometimes. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us on the Sheeran Show today. My pleasure, Lou. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, and so are the Nets right now, to get right into it. 23 and 32. They've won two out of three since the break. Dropped a tough one to the Pelicans uh, Wednesday night. It's Thursday afternoon here as we, as we speak. But as of Thursday afternoon, they are in a virtual tie, but they are the eight seed. Uh, you know, just ahead of Charlotte on on tiebreakers. This is a playoff team at this moment in time. How 
amazing, and yet how does that speak to how tough the the East is up top and not so tough on the bottom for the Nets right now? Well, I think for the Nets, when you looked at this team on paper coming into the season, you thought that they could be a lower-tier playoff seed, and you know they've kind of realized those expectations, whether they were high or low in your opinion or not. But right now the thing is with the Eastern Conference, I mean, you're looking at really the top six teams that are playing above 500, seven games above 500 right now. That includes the Milwaukee Bucks with Jason Kidd. Uh, at the bottom of that top six pile. So, you know, following that, Miami got better. They added Goran Dragic, but they lost Chris Bosh now. So that kind of balances out. And then if you're Brooklyn, you're fighting with, you know, the Charlotte Hornets and Detroit Pistons, who have made somewhat of a run. The Indiana Pacers is there. It's, it's quite a cluster for that last playoff spot in the seventh seed. But when you look at Brooklyn and the moves that they made, adding Daddy's Young for for this season, that should improve their athleticism. Obviously, Markel Brown getting a chance off the bench. The rookie is, has played well, including a we saw the 360 dunk, and he 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 is an athlete, and he brings a spark to this team that we haven't seen in a little bit. So, getting Darren Williams back has also been important. I mean, look, it's it's no secret that if Darren Williams goes, the Nets go, and having him healthy even for a minimal stretch is important for this team. It gives them it adds depth to the team. You know, Jared Jack was logging having heavy minutes earlier this season and being asked a lot to run the show for about 40 minutes a night. Now with Darren there, it kind of alleviates that pressure on him and it makes him more efficient because he has more time to rest. So all these things are starting to come to play for Brooklyn right now in the immediate future. And uh, we'll see what happens. We still have a long way to go in the second half. But in the immediate future and in the present right now for Brooklyn, things are starting to shape up. Let's talk about that backcourt a little bit more in depth. You know, you mentioned Markel Brown. He, the other night, was phenomenal, for lack of a better word. I mean, 45 minutes against Denver, 24 points, 11 boards as a starter. I mean, this is a performance from a guy who had played in a little less than a third of the games in the first half. All of a sudden, getting a chance, you know, it, it, I'm not going to tab it Lynn Sanity part two, but it's kind of along those same lines that he came in and, and boosted a struggling team into a big win. Jarrett Jack coming back, you know, last night after sitting out a couple games with, with a bad hamstring. And Darren Williams looking looking like Darren Williams the last few games. You know, he had a double-double with, uh, I think, 14 or 15 assists against the Lakers last Friday night. Has looked good again the last couple days. Um you know, these three guys, I mean, with Bogdanovich out last night, who's been, you know, a heavy rotation minutes player at, at that one of those guard spots and sometimes, you know, even in the front court, maybe Markel Brown, the addition of Thaddeus Young, is this a boost, you know, for the Nets in that they are what they are, but maybe they can at least improve their stock a little bit going forward and see what they have in some of these guys like Brown and maybe even Corey Jefferson and, of course, Young going forward? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Nets, considering where they are in terms of this season, you, you're not expect, you're not going to really add anybody, obviously. Uh, they thought they were going to get Thomas Robinson, but he was claimed by Philadelphia, and, and that was put on the back burner. So this team is what it is at the moment. And, you know, the thing is, one thing about the rotation, and you mentioned Markel kind of coming out of nowhere. Well, you know, you got to remember, there was a stretch where a guy like Sergei Karasev was starting 10 games in a row, and then now we haven't seen him for the rest of the month. So it all depends on the Hollands' rotation. And 
I think on one hand, you know, even a guy like Corey Jefferson, minutes have fluctuated. We've seen Jerome Jordan ahead of, uh, you know, Mason Plumlee at one point this year on the depth chart. So one thing about the Nets is every player has to stay ready because Lionel has shown that he's going to go with the hot hand and do what he thinks is best for the team at that time in any particular game to get a win. Uh, you know, they're no, there's not necessarily favorites here with this team. Now, going forward and developing these guys like Markel and Corey, et cetera, has been, a, has been somewhat of a boost to this team because one of the things that Brooklyn lacked on paper coming into the season was athleticism. Now, guys like Plumlee, Brown, Jefferson, those are the guys that are bringing you athleticism, and you need that in today's NBA where a lot of teams are getting up and down in transition and pushing on fast breaks. So it, it balances out the roster a little bit more and gives them a chance to compete with other teams regarding certain matchups on a nightly basis. And, hey, these guys are, you know, they're younger. They <laughs> can take some of the minutes off the veteran guys and, give themselves a chance to show what they can do. They're eager when they get in. You know they're going to get give maximum effort. So it's a win-win in that regard when you're talking about the Nets. I think maybe, you know, last night's, if you look at their um, the rotation last night, maybe speaks to what you said. Bogdanovich was out again. Jefferson didn't play. Holland's used eight guys, seven of which played 28 minutes or more, and the only one that didn't was Plumlee. Um, you know, he only logged about 14 minutes, but – that was a game they seemed to be in the whole way, even though they, you know, they were down most of the time. They seemed to be in it the whole way, and especially at the end. Hollins, is Hollins not afraid to say, look, you know, we've seen what he's done with Lopez and Darren Williams this year, them coming off the bench the majority of the time of late. Is, is this a case where he's not afraid to say, look, this is the team that's rolling. We're going with this because we need to win games, and I don't care about your ego or your contract, or your you know your level per se. I need to win games, and this is the crew that's going to do it. He's not afraid to do that. It seems. No, when when you think of Lionel Hollins, he's not afraid of confrontation with any player. I mean, earlier in the season, we've seen him and Brooke Lopez uh, go at it a little bit, and and that's not a bad thing. You know, I think people take stuff like that out of context. You know, it's there's look at. Uh, even the other night, like in Dallas, when Rajon Rondo and Rick Carlisle got into it a little, it, it's going to happen. Now, I think that, obviously, that's a different scenario, but in regards to the Nets with Hollins and Lopez and getting into players' faces, getting them, trying to get the most out of them. I mean, the goal for everyone involved is the same thing, to win games, to try to improve and get better. The thing about Hollins is he's a no-nonsense guy, and he, he's not afraid of confrontation, which... I think some some coaches are a little more player friendly, but Hollins is a straight shooter, you know. And I think on one hand you have to give a man like that respect because he's not going to finagle or go beat around the bush. You know, he's going to tell you like it is straight up, and you do what you want with that as a player. So anytime a guy like that gets in your face and is willing to challenge you pushes you and it motivates you to get better. Now, on the other hand, some players are not always receptive to that criticism like that. So it's a, it's a pro and a con, certainly, for Hollins. But one thing that he's shown consistently is that he's going to roll with his hot hand that he thinks is best to win the game because he knows as well as anyone that his job, as he's seen in the past, is on the line when you 
win games or you don't win games. So he's just doing what he thinks is best for the team, whether you agree with it or not. Speaking of what may be best for the team, let's look, let's look ahead a little bit. The Nets have 27 games left. Um, you know, they're, they're, right, they're right there in the eight seed, as we talked about. They're a game up on Boston, Detroit, and Indiana under various scenarios at the moment. However, when you look ahead at the playoffs and then you look ahead even further towards the draft, Atlanta looks like a lock to be the one seed at this point. They have, I believe, an eight-game lead. Uh, ahead of Toronto, you know, Toronto's in the two and Chicago, Cleveland are right there. Three, four, one of them, if they win the division is going to be three or four based on the seedings. The Nets are, are two and eight against those four teams right now, this season, their two wins, you know, they were, they won at Toronto. We remember that game well here and they won at Chicago who now has just lost Derek Rose once again. But when you look at that, you're looking at any one of the you know seven eight seed, they're going to play one of those four teams. They haven't done very well. This isn't a situation where they're playing Miami in the second round and they they won all four games against Miami last year and didn't do so well in the playoffs. But they haven't performed well against these teams. Not to mention that it might be a double whammy in, in Nets fans' eyes that Atlanta has the right to swap their draft pick with the Nets. You know this year in the draft, so they kind of want to see the Nets do as poorly as possible, of course. And then if they end up beating them in the first round, it's almost a bittersweet. We kind of had a, an easy first round, but we lost a draft pick to that. So going from that, that being said, is player development really the best interest of the Nets the next 27 games? Is trying to win as much as possible to make the playoffs and you get into the tournament and you never know? Or is there some kind of happy medium where Lionel Hollins can do both and, and not, you know, not necessarily worry too much about the results depending on what they are? I think if you're the Nets, you want to have a happy medium of both because when you look at this team going forward, you mentioned about the draft pick being uh, swapped with Atlanta going this year. You know, in the years ahead, and when you look at the draft with the Nets, that's what a lot of the trades that they made, including the following year in 2016, the first round pick goes to Boston in the KG and Pierce deal, and then the year after that in 2017, they swap with Boston depending on. If Brooklyn has uh, the higher pick, then it goes to Boston, and et cetera. Then 2018, the first-round pick goes outright to Boston. So in terms of when you ask me about developing talent now, I think you have to develop talent now because unless the Nets are able to trade for a draft pick going forward, you know, they're, they're limited as far as what they can get with the lesser of the two draft picks, what they trade to Atlanta, Boston, so... You know, you want to you want to always develop your younger guys as best you can uh, in certain spots, and I think that they need that. They need guys like Markel. You've seen Markel getting minutes the last couple of games, and hey, they've won two out of three now. Is that the ultimate formula for success? It, it remains to be seen. It's a small sample size, but it, it's definitely not hurting the team right now to get younger guys like that more minutes just to to give it a different look. You have to remember also the Nets right now are 23 and 32. So playing the veterans' extended minutes hasn't necessarily done the trick to a certain degree. You want to get some guys a little bit more of a look, including Markel, maybe Corey, guys like that. But at the same time, you also have to remember too Lopez wasn't around for a little bit. Darren had his injuries. All that stuff plays a role. I think what you're trying to do is just 
stir the pot a little bit with everyone and, and get it get everyone on the same page as a cohesive unit. That's been one of the toughest things the Nets have had to do this year, whether it's with injuries, inconsistent play, uh, you know, scheduling a lot of games on the, this road trip, back-to-backs. You know, when they had Kevin Garnett in the fold, he had to sit and rest. It was hard <laughs> to develop a consistent rotation. I think they're still looking for that to a certain extent. I think once they do that, It'll help players have a defined role, and you'll have more consistency going forward, and that always is an important piece to winning in this league. You know, going further with those draft picks, too, Mike, it's, you know, they're second-rounders the next few years. A few of them are compromised based on certain possibilities as well. So, you know, they may have no potential draft picks or one or two in the next four years. Is it possible or likely, or, you know, the scenario comes in a couple years when Darren Williams is coming to the end of his deal next year when Joe Johnson and maybe Brooke Lopez are coming to the end of their deals if Lopez opts in, that if the Nets are 23-32 and at the trade deadline again in 2016, 17, 18, that this now becomes a sell-off mode where we're just trying to gain assets for these guys because we're not going anywhere. And is it possible that, you know, we've seen, at least for the next few years, the high point of what the Brooklyn Nets can and would be last year and the year before, and now we're going to enter you know, a phase where this is going to be a, a slightly sub-500 to maybe 500 team tops for the next few years. Well, I think in the scenario that you outlined, if, if this team come next year is around the same record, yeah, I think you could see a fire sale because those guys are all getting older. I mean, Brooke is still relatively young, but... I don't think that the Nets would look to keep Darren and Joe for the price tag that they're at now, obviously. And, you know, you have to look towards the future, and you do need to recover assets because you gave up a lot of assets to get those guys originally. So if you if you have a, a sale at the deadline come next year, you can hope to recuperate some of those back, but you're never going to get what you initially gave for those guys at the peak of their value. Their value has gone down a little bit, uh, and that includes all three. So you'd be getting some back, but not as much as you would like. Now, at the same time, when you look at second-round picks, the Nets bought second-round picks when they got guys like Corey Jefferson. So, you know, you can get a guy a buy a pick towards the middle of the latter round of the second round. You can you can pay for those. You can even pay for some teams are trying to preserve cap space at the end of the first round. But those are extremely expensive. Some of those are in the three, four million dollar range. When you're doing it in the second round it's a lot cheaper. So there's still ways for the Nets to, to get into the draft. You know, they they consistently scout every year with that in mind, thinking of getting into the draft. You know, I've talked with guys and management and whatnot, and they're all going to games, they're all scouting. It's not like they're thinking that the draft is not important. It's just that at this point, it, it, the draft picks are limited. And as you mentioned, down the road, if this stays the way it is in this current situation, then, yeah, I think the thinking is going to switch to getting younger guys and pieces. And you also have to remember the, the, the big elephant in the room here in regards to trades and, you know, trying to trim pay- payroll is what's going to happen with ownership. So is ownership going to sell? If ownership sells, you want to have the payroll at a lower rate because then you could sell it for a higher margin. 
uh, <laughs> things like that. All this stuff comes into play. So, and then, you know, who knows what management, new ownership comes in, new ownership could look to clean house regarding management. So all these factors come into play. One last point we'll make about the Nets before we move on to the, the other side of town, and it has to deal with that a little bit. You know, looking on the surface in any respect, except for maybe on an outside chance, the fact that he's possibly under contract for next year, there seems to be no negative towards the, the, the Nets trade for Thaddeus Young sending Kevin Garnett to Minnesota. That seems to be a clear win in the Nets' favor. But with everything else ha- that happened at the deadline, with all the Brooke Lopez rumors and everything and the deal possibly falling apart with OKC, is this a case where, it, you know, Billy King now, after sacrificing a lot of assets to get these guys that are now in decline and haven't gotten the job done, and then after everything that happened at this trade deadline, is this a case where now – if new ownership comes in, he's he he won the battle this year, but has lost the war, and you know he's not going to get a chance to rebuild again if new ownership comes in. I think if new ownership comes in, the chances of the current management staying around are slim, just because generally a new management comes in, and unless the team is doing really well, they're looking a clean house. But at the same time, usually you don't get a team up for sale when they're doing well. So, by that logic, I wouldn't expect him, him in particular, or you know, members of the management staff to to be around after there's a sale of the team, if there ever becomes one in the near future. Because ownerships, new ownerships, look to make uh, their own stamp on an organization. You know, you have to keep in mind that they may not necessarily have the same viewpoint as a guy like Billy. And, you know, when, when you look at the Nets, when you look at Billy King's tenure with the Nets, I think what he tried to do was go for it all when they got Pierce and Garnett. And, you know, when they were, that was the height of, when you asked me a little bit about, you know, is, is this the best we've seen of the Nets and we could be in for a little bit of a lull period, I think the height of, you know, uh, notoriety around the Nets, expectation and talent on the roster was here when we when they had Lopez, Garnett, Pierce, Johnson, Williams. You had guys like Sean Livingston off the bench. That was a team that, you know, they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You, you thought of that team as a contender with a decent chance to, to make a run in the Eastern Conference, and it never materialized. And I think when you put all your assets into going for it all for that, really it was a one-year window two at the absolute most, which never even materialized when Pierce left, you know, I think that sends a message to the ownership that, to, you know, potential owners looking down the road that, you know, now where are you looking five years from now? You know, you, you gave up a lot of assets. You're going to have to sell low possibly on the top three stars that you originally acquired early in the in the rebuilding process. So, Things like that come into play. I think Billy's, at that point, he'd probably be gone. With that said, let's let's move on to uh, a, a team that has new management, uh, at least uh, just celebrated its first birthday, the Knicks, with, with Phil Jackson now just over a year at the helm. They're 10-46. and 46. I mean, this is a team that's won 20 games in Phil Jackson's tenure as president, 10 last year and 10 of the first 56 this year. And it's going nowhere fast. 
in what you've seen around the state of the Knicks, what is the state of the Knicks? Well, the state of the Knicks is Carmelo and not much else around them. And <laughs> even at that, Carmelo, you know, the past few years, Carmelo's had shoulder trouble and now the knee. You don't even know really with Carmelo how reliable you can count on him for the next few years. And this is this is a concern, this injury where, you know, he originally thought it wouldn't be as, as lengthy of a rehab, but we're talking four to six months before he even returns to the basketball court. That's a substantial <laughs> amount of time for anyone at, at any point in their career. And I, and I don't buy this notion that you just, oh, you pick up a basketball and then you, you get right back to it like riding a bike. No, look at guys like, now, I'm not saying this is to the same extent, but look at guys like Derrick Rose, whose careers have been stunted by injuries. So the, the, the saving grace, if you're looking at the New York Knicks right now, is they have their first-round pick this year, and you know they're giving themselves the best chance in the lottery at this point in time to get the number one pick, and that would be Jalil Okafor. You know, he's the guy that, when you talk to scouts, GMs, et cetera, this is the guy that most people feel like is a sure thing or the closest thing to that in this draft. And the guy that's been compared to Duncan, his, his footwork in the post is incredible. He has an awareness, a court awareness when the ball comes. He sees a double team. He's a good passer. Uh, again, his footwork allows him to be a good scorer in the post. He can overpower guys at that level. He's got an NBA body in terms of the size and weight. Jalil Okafor is one of the best prospects most people have seen, you know, executives in a long time. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, that's the sell-off, you know, looking for the future down the road. But then in a similar regard to the Mets, you know, in 2016, the, the first-round pick gets swapped with Denver and the Mello deal and – you know, you also then have to convey a pick to Toronto as well in the Bargnani deal. So, again, like, whether you think the future is better in New York or Brooklyn, it depends on your evaluation of where the team's current state is versus the future. The Knicks have more, more draft picks down the road than the Nets, but the Nets have a little bit better of a roster at this point, you know, even though they're under 500 at the moment. So it just depends on how you personally view, you know, what you're looking for if you're trying to win now or the best projection for the future down the road and what could lead to a better future. And the Bargnani trade is, is kind of big right now. Amare Stoudemire is already gone, bought out, gone to Dallas. Prigioni was dealt at the deadline. He's gone. They got Alexi Shved. Um, you know, Carmelo's out for the season. This is a team that, Really, realistically, looks like it has very little scoring. Bargnani's only played what five or six games this year, out of fifty-two. Over the next twenty-six games that they have left, is this we're going to put this in Bargnani's hands, or do they just not owe him any favors and say, you know what, if we can get rid of you and save some cash, we're gonna? Because they don't have a lot of options, as as the Nets do with Brown and Jefferson and those guys to develop. They seemingly don't necessarily have a lot of options outside of. You know, Tim Hardaway still under contract. Clay Anthony Early, you know, is is on his rookie deal, and they've got a few guys. Langston Galloway has looked good, but they don't realistically necessarily have a lot of. Well, let's look at this guy and see him develop because a lot of their their contracts are expiring this this summer. 
Yeah, it's, it's not pretty. It's not pretty <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, but I guess you could say Bariani's the quote go-to scorer, but I mean, this is a watered-down roster. There's, there's no disputing that. If you're the Knicks, I think you need to give a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. more minutes. What you know, this guy coming off the bench behind Langston Galloway, Hardaway Jr. last year was you know the flavor of the month and the year for a while, and it seems like stock within the organization is not what it was initially. Um, you know, you got guys who originally were on ten-day deals that played well, Lou Amundsen and Lance Thomas, but they haven't played at the same level since. Uh, so I, I want, if you're the Knicks and you're a fan of the Knicks, it, you should be developing guys like you mentioned, Clean Anthony Early, Tim Hardaway Jr., Langston Galloway. You need to see if these guys are part of the future. The rest of these guys are contracts that are there as cap fillers, more or less. You know, you, you're just trying to see what you have for the future. I think in regards to Bariani being the go-to scorer, I think it says everything you need to know about where this Knicks team is right now. <laughs> Bariani's been an injury concern for a long time and you know after being the first overall pick in the draft in his draft class he hasn't lived up to expectations so on one hand for Bariani I think if you're him you need to take these last few games and take them as a gift and, and run with it because he's looking for a contract next year too now I don't think it'll be with the Knicks but if there's another team that you know, could be interested in his services he's playing for a contract so <laughs> all these guys are on one year deals <clears throat> looking ahead, they should have something to play for personally. Now, I don't think that that necessarily equates to team success because you're looking more for yourself in terms of getting a better contract. But if you're the Knicks, you want to see more of Anthony Early, Langston Galloway, Tim Hardaway Jr. to get them on the floor and get as much as you can to see where you can evaluate them and know if they're a core, maybe not a core piece, but a piece going forward as a bench guy. Two more questions for you, Mike, before we let you go. And once again, we thank you for the time. This is Michael Scotto from uh, Sheridan Hoops, also does some work for the Associated Press. One question is going to look forward about three months, and one's going to look forward about 15 to 16 months. The first one, three months from now, looking at the Eastern Conference as a whole, Atlanta's been dominant all year. Cleveland has come on of late. Chicago's been good, but now missing D. Rose. Washington's been hanging around. Um, you know, Toronto's been hanging around at the top of a pretty weak division. If I had to put, you know, the proverbial gun to your head right now, which team is in the finals come June? Yeah, I would say the Cleveland Cavaliers, just because they've been on such a run of late where we're at at this point in the season. I think that the acquisition of Timothy Mozgov has solidified the front line for them. And then, you know, J.R. Smith and Shumpert have added depth to this team. They've gotten healthy. LeBron looks like LeBron James before he was hurt earlier in the season. Kyrie Irving has been an all-star this year. I think you're seeing Kevin Love start to fit in. The other night he had uh, at least eight three-pointers, if I recall correctly. He's starting to get the ball a little bit more. I think Kevin Love is one of the X-factors for this team. You can get Kevin Love rolling. You know, Sometimes this year, whether he's fitting in or fitting out, is LeBron tweeting or whatnot, Getting him is the X factor, I think, similar to how Chris Bosh was in Miami when LeBron had the big three there. So this is not a knock on Atlanta. The thing that concerns me with Atlanta to a small extent is you live by the three, you die by the three. They could all shoot the ball, don't get me wrong, but if you go cold one night, you know, it's 
a concern. Also, just in regards to Cleveland, there's always the belief that superstars and the talent will out outplay, you know, excellent teamwork with Atlanta. Atlanta's got very good, very good players, but not a superstar. I think that's just the way you give Cleveland the edge in that regard. As far as Chicago, Chicago is concerned, you lose Rose. It's not like you haven't played with Allen before, but it, it, I think it hurts in terms of championship aspirations, although I love the front court of Gasol and Noah. Rarely in the NBA these days do you see two footers so skilled in the same front court. Uh, for me personally, it's a throwback to you know, the earlier 90s and when the Lakers had guys like Gasol, Bynum. It, it's a refreshing thing to see. A little I bit of Duncan Robinson maybe even that. from back in the day. What's that? Literally, maybe of Duncan and Robinson. Speaking of Tim Duncan, you know the the early part of the Spurs dynasty. You can certainly say that as well, and you know they maximize that to their advantage. So if you're the Bulls, that's what you have to do going forward. But you know, and Jimmy Butler too has had a career year for them. If there was every year that they were going to compete for it, this was the year until obviously the Rose injury. When you look at Toronto, I think they may take a step forward, maybe win another round. As far as when they lost to. Um, Brooklyn, but I don't know really how much they're going to go as far as championship aspirations. I don't think they're there yet. So if you ask me as far as East, I think it's Cleveland. And I'll give you the last question is is based on that level of superstars you just you just mentioned in your previous answer. Fifteen months from now, it's you know LeBron can opt out of his deal in Cleveland. It's the summer of Durant coming up. Fifteen months from now, a bunch of these free agents are coming out. The Knicks and Nets are where they are now. If New York becomes a landing spot for, for one or more of these guys, like you know we experienced with the summer of LeBron and Amari a few years ago, right now, who has the better chance of being the one that has the best chance of getting these guys, Brooklyn or the Knicks? Well, let me, let me make this as clear as I can. I don't think that I don't think necessarily that either are in an ideal position to land a superstar. I think if I don't think LeBron's going anywhere. I think he's just gonna opt in and then when the, the summer of twenty sixteen comes, then everybody, you know, will opt out and for the T V deals. I think I guess if you had to put who has the better chance, it would depend if the superstar wants to play with Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks and who they get with the top pick. You know, maybe necessarily, I don't know, maybe a guy like Kevin Love would fit maybe or not with Jalil Oak for Carmelo down the road. But I think a lot of, when it comes to free agency, a lot of the top guys genuinely, generally, excuse me, stay where they are due to the way the CBA is structured and how teams can have bird rights and give give their guys the most money going forward. I think if you're the Knicks and Nets, your targets need to be the second-tier guys that aren't maybe superstars, the Jimmy Butlers, the Kawhi Leonard's restricted free agents, trying to sign guys like those where you, you may have to overpay, but because they're so young and they'll develop more, they'll eventually, in theory, try to get to that salary floor where you overpay for them initially. Uh, you know, the guys like Reggie Jackson on the market, Rondo has had his issues in Dallas. He'll be... Uh, a guy that's looking to probably go somewhere else at this point, uh, guys like Greg Monroe. I think that you have plenty of pieces on the market to build a team and a core. But as far as a superstar, I don't see it. I think if, when you, you mentioned Durant, I think it's either he stays in OKC or he goes 
home to Washington with the Wizards. So when I look at that landscape, I think your best bet is to build, get maybe three second-tier guys and add to the core that you already have, whatever it is, and then go from there. In my ideal scenario, when you're a team and you're a general manager, you build for the draft. Then you go with trades, whether you have picks or young guys that you can trade off for a veteran that you think is maybe an emerging star or is a star already, similar to what the Boston Celtics did when they brought their big three together. And then you supplement that with free agency and uh, guys like that. That's my theory of how you build a team. It seemed to work for Boston that year. It worked a little bit, a little bit more of a superstar-laden Miami team, but uh, in general with all the guys they've added. And hopefully you and I will get to revisit a lot of things in the next 15 months, but uh, maybe we'll talk about it in June of uh, 2016. Michael Scotto from Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press, thank you very much for coming on with us and sharing your basketball wisdom. My pleasure, Lou. Thank you for having me. So there you have it. I mean, the last question to bring it back together, who has the better shot of – getting anybody and he basically said in a roundabout way neither wow neither of these teams has has a shot of being a big free agent landing spot and and that's what i alluded to in this blog yep i, I said it earlier you know he's he's clear in the cap space phil jackson for but, what but if he can't attract big name free agents where exactly <laughs> is his team headed you know let's be honest phil jackson is not the one that threw this team in the toilet and held the plunger down. Isaiah Thomas oh, yeah. has his fingerprints all over that. Now, Phil's 68 years of age, correct? 69, he, he's, 68, he's, something he's like up that? There. He's close to 70. I'm all not right, exactly sure. Close to 70. If you think players are just going to come, they're not playing for Phil Jackson. They're playing for Derek Fisher yeah. right now. And Fisher is anything but a king. Who's the guy that was... <laughs> Who was the guy that was hired after was the Jeff guy? Bridges, by it the way. was the guy that was hired after the guy they wanted went out to coach the team that's the best in the NBA right now. Right, and uh, James Dolan didn't want to give him the money. Apparently, insulted him with the contract. But at the same time, if you're Steve Kerr and you're looking at those rosters, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't where are you going? Yeah, I don't blame him. I think the Warriors could have offered less, and he would have went out there. The Warriors could have told him, "We'll give you tickets." <laughs> he would have gone out there. <laughs> and we got Bill Raftery doing the Final Four. Now that which Kerr is, is gone, I mean, which is the kiss, awesome. Which is where he should. Which is where he should be. It should be him and Gus. God, I love Gus Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, he, he he's right though. I I, it's scary that he's right. Yeah, I just don't think, and it's so sad. You know what it's like? I'm a St. John's basketball fan. You <clears throat> yes, know this. Yes, you are. Okay. Every time I see recruits go to Syracuse, go to Duke, go to UNC, uh, you pick a top 10 team, that's where all these top New York recruits are going. Mm -hmm. And it rips my heart out every time I see it. Syracuse, I can understand. UConn, I can understand. They're still close. Yep. And they've had success in the tournament. Fine. But you got to land somebody in your own backyard and to get started. And St. John's is in Jamaica, Queens, which is a tough sell. Especially in this social media age, you know, or especially now when it's twelve degrees outside with a foot of snow on the ground. Correct. Not like UConn. I right say there. it all the time. If I was a five-star blue chip prospect, I'd want to go to St. John's to put it back on the map. That's just me, though. Like mm -hmm. I grew up rooting for them, but I think it's the same thing with the Knicks and Nets. Just New York isn't selling this anymore. No, it's not. 
they see, you know, players aren't stupid and players are their own brand. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go tarnish their brand with a team that's in the toilet right now. They're not going to do it like LeBron James. I could see why he didn't come to the Knicks back when he went to the Heat. Yep. And I can see why nobody would, considering that Carmelo did, and everybody's like, well, it's just because about the money with him. And the Nuggets couldn't wait to get rid of that guy. I mean, I don't get I don't get it anymore. Like You remember? Yeah. I remember I'm coming home. Oh, all over the all God. over MSG. Ugh. You know Ugh. what? We'll see. Maybe in five years we're back where we started from because Isn't instead from of Brooklyn. Yeah. Because you know, just like in the summer of LeBron, when the Knicks got Amari and then they traded for Melo, it was supposed had... to be the summer of George. <laughs> Serenity now, um, you know. But five years from now, maybe we're in the same spot because the summer of LeBron and Durant turned into the summer of Bradley Beal. I don't know. Who, I don't even know who's a free agent really at that point. Again, you know. And then they trade for another fading superstar, and then they have a year of relevance, and then they look good, and then they fall. Who knows? I got off the roller coaster after I rode it once. I'm good. Yeah. You know, like I'm just good. And I give credit to everybody that still goes and buys tickets and actually, not the celebrities, because let's face it, they don't pay and they just go because they want to get out of the house or away from their spouse or whatever or their significant other. Um, I'm talking about the 400 fans, the 400 level fans, the 300 level fans who, who have season tickets and they bleed orange and blue. Those guys in Eddie with the bags over their heads. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't you, you, Whoopi Goldberg can't do a worse job than Derek Fisher right now. If Frank Langello in this team, it'd be a lot more entertaining though. <laughs> I can say that much. Well, maybe in a good way. We need Rick to... Fox. <laughs> That's who we need. That's my wife. <laughs> Preacher, we need preacher out there. Is Mark Jackson available? Oh God, I, I wish. R.I.P. Malik Seely, by the way, as well. Yeah, uh, plays the catalyst. Yeah. Stacy Patton don't pass. <laughs> well, we've uh, we've spent a good hour between us and then me and Michael yeah. talking about basketball. Let's talk yeah. about something real quick before we go that we're excited oh, yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. That we found out about today with our our good friends down in Trenton at the Trenton Thunder, mm-hmm. uh, hosting a the third annual. Sort of, because there wasn't one last year for some reason. Uh, it's a softball game between the Dover and Pocono Raceway. Uh, Winners of the past year. Yeah, entities. And uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Joey Logano, the last two Daytona 500 winners, will be on opposite teams. They're captains. We're going to be there, and we are in the lottery for spots <laughs> to play in this game. Yes, we are. Because that would be ridiculous and awesome all at the same time. Somehow Boomer and Carton still haven't called us for theirs at the stadium, but... Trenton, Trenton's looking yeah, out for I, us. I have a feeling uh, we're not. We're gonna not going to get anything that? from no. them. No, no. But Trenton's looking out for us. This will be a lot of fun, even if one or both of us doesn't play to be there and to talk to you. That's going to be a lot of fun that day. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually hoping I could participate, and I hope Lou can too, because we could both play. I mean, yeah. it's not like we're slouches no. when it comes to softball. I got a great DH body. <laughs> Lou's going to go up there with a... Like the Kyle Roller of slow-pitch softball. With a cigar in his mouth and a beer in one hand and his bat in the other. And my hat on backwards. There you high go. socks. There you go. Um, no, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. I, I, it's I, April 21st, by the way, if you're listening. Uh, Tuesday, April 21st, 4 o'clock, uh, and then the game's shortly afterwards, and then the, the Thunder play the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, who's Toronto's AA affiliate, uh, that night. So it's a nice. So it's afternoon. kind of a doubleheader, yeah. yeah. Little Tuesday afternoon doubleheader and, uh, at Arm and Hammer, um, but it should be a lot of fun. We'll as we find out more about our possible participation and what we'll be doing. There, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more you, about it. Keep you up to speed, yeah. but it's less than uh, two months away. 
And um, get your tickets now. Yeah, we're excited. Go go to uh, TrentonThunder.com. TrentonThunder.com. Yep. And you can get your tickets. And you know, it's a little NASCAR, a little softball, yep. a little baseball. You know, the I same feel day. it's funny because when we used to do the Yes Men, Doug and I, um, you know. Doug was a big NASCAR fan. I'm a big wrestling fan, and I don't really understand the appeal of NASCAR too much. He doesn't understand the appeal of wrestling. We we had a good back and forth on a couple well, episodes I, of the I show. Well, then I just I just replaced Doug as being the NASCAR guy. You're the NASCAR guy, yeah. It's it's kind of kind of full circle, freaky, homie kind of thing. Going I've on. never talked about it on this podcast because I, I don't I want people to listen. I mean, my my, my parents <laughs> my parents live ten minutes from Daytona yeah. International Speedway. Really? I mean, yeah, I I. I won't say I grew up because it was later in life, but I mean I've lived around there and see I'm I'm a gym rat. You know I, I my my older brother, my younger brother, my father, they're all garage rats. My brother was a garage rat. My father was a garage rat. Yeah, <laughs> ding. <laughs> but they like my grandfathers before them. You know I was never interested in fixing cars, but I would watch the races and ask questions, and yeah. I got into it. You know, I'll watch the big ones. I, I love the super speedways, the Talladegas, the yeah. Daytonas. You know, the restrictor plates kind of came in after the Dale Earnhardt Sr. accident and kind of slowed the car. They used to go like 210. Now they go like 199. Yeah, because um, it makes a big difference. Yeah, and they got the Hans devices for the heads, and it's really it's safer now. But still, let's face it. You go 199 miles an hour into the, into the wall. Yeah, it's not looking Bad good. Bad things are going to happen. But um, – no, I'm still intrigued by it. A lot of people like George Carlin used to say, you know, I don't watch NASCAR because it's the same five bleep bleep rednecks that win it every time. Who wants to watch, yeah. uh, you know, 42 guys drive 500 miles in a circle? But there's so much to it. You know, the adjustments to the car mm -hmm. in the pit, you know, when to take a pit <laughs> stop if there's no caution, drafting teammates working together. It's as much mental and strategic oh, God. as it is. You're I mean, in you a car for four hours. Yeah, and I'm sure you're dehydrated and feel awful, and it's mentally taxing. Like Pretty you know, much yeah. a NASCAR race, like the Daytona 500 or Talladega, the Coca-Cola 400, whatever. You're in a car for the same amount of time by yourself as a Yankees-Red Sox game on ESPN. Dude, <laughs> Alex Rodriguez ain't hitting a 14th inning home run though, no. at the Daytona 500. No, no. Plus, you know, there's accidents. It's, it's fun. It's fun when you're there. I've you never know, been. If you've to gone a to, race. I've been to one. It's it's fun when you're there. Um, I used to enjoy actually going. There's a there's a couple of smaller speed tracks in the in the Volusia County area near Daytona Speedway. There's Volusia. one Volusia. That's the name of the county. I know. Um, I've vacationed in Daytona a couple. There's times. one. Uh, there's one in New Smyrna, like outside of New Smyrna, which is this mm -hmm. town south of Daytona. And there's one in Barberville, which is about 20 miles west of the city limits of Daytona mm -hmm. Beach area. And it's it's short track, like old school, you know, just crazy. It's it's like watching double A racing, you know. And it's a lot of fun because those guys, those are the guys that are. You know, I don't want to say NASCAR guys don't have passion because that's not even true. But well, no, like, these guys are fighting to get there. But when you, if you watch a, a Yankees Red Sox game versus a Thunder Fisher Cats game, there's a bit of a difference in obviously talent level, right? But there's a bit of a difference just in attitude and composure and the way things go. And you know, sometimes you see hitters struggling to adjust to higher levels. Guys throw better pitches. Sometimes you know it's the opposite way around. That's the way those lower. Speed track, you know, those low races. And at the new Smyrna one, I think, I don't know if they still do it, but every, the last Saturday of every month or something, they used to do like a demolition derby, like go out there and race your own car kind of thing. It was crazy. Well, I, that, I would never do that's it. That's something I want to do. I want to, at one point, if financially I can, 
I want to bring my brothers down to that fantasy camp, that Daytona fantasy camp where you could actually learn how to do it and <clears> you go yep, for a couple the laps in the car. It's scary when you're going around that track, man. The banking, the it's 30 like... 30-degree banks? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's pretty pretty scary. Unbelievable. It's but, like it's yeah. like climbing up. It's like it's like running on a hill sideways. I gotta be honest. I'm not gonna be a phony here. Like I was into it, late '90s, mm-hmm. maybe through 2010. I watched Daytona 500 on Sunday. Like I see the numbers going across the screen. I'm like, who's that? Who's this? Who's yeah. this? Who's that? So I, I have some catching up to do. Scooter Vaughn in the number seven Tide car. But I know who Double Eight is. Double eight, double eights, and I know who Smoke is, so I'm good. Who's that? Tell me story. Really? They call yeah. him Smoke? That's one of his nicknames from oh. back in the day. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sure. That's good. good. I think that brings to a wrap this yeah. edition of the Christian yeah. Show. <laughs> um, next week we'll be on. The week oh, after boy. we'll be off because we'll be in Tampa for spring training. So right. that'll be fun. We'll we'll be. You'll have a mid-season post-sweeps hiatus. We don't. We don't have to do that. No, I'll be in Tampa. Yeah, but you can call me. Maybe. Oh, well, you have the you have the, I have the computer. You have the computer. Computer. Yeah. Never mind. But I have the microphone, and you will listen to it. But when you when you come back from Tampa, we'll have some good stuff. Right, you'll give us an entire rundown, yep. and I'll just be a question machine. And you will be um, you. and you'll be doing some courtside reporting that week as the 8th well. Eighth and the tenth. Yeah. yeah, down at the Barclays Center. Yes. yes. So I'll be Big filling in. Be filling in for Miss Kustak that week, uh, and I'm in studio tonight and tomorrow and Monday. Monday with Donnie Marshall. Donnie Marshall, I love that. The one and only. UConn. And former Net, by the way. Yes. Yeah, played with Jay Kitten. He did. Former UConn star. Uh-huh. Back in the day. The, All right. The two Marshalls, Donnie and Danielle. Now we're just rambling. We are. All right, we're going to go. Wrap it up. For Lou DePietro, that's at Lou DePietro, yes. I am at Chris Sheeran, yes. We will see you next week. Same bad time. Same bad time.